listening to a message from Red Church in Melbourne, Australia. If you'd like to know more about Red or its ministries, please go to redchurch.org.au. Great to have you wherever you're watching today as we open God's Word. We're in the final week of our series, Rebuilding Hope. And what I want to talk to you about today is that the Holy Spirit comes to make us a people. And through becoming that people, we become God's hope in the world. Today is Pentecost Sunday, and we're going to open God's Word and read the story of Pentecost from Acts chapter 2, verse 1. Just before this, Jesus has died on the cross for our sins. He has been resurrected on the third day, appeared to the disciples, ascended to the right hand of the Father, where he pours out his Spirit on his people. And that's what we read about today. Verse 1. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now they were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, aren't all those who are speaking Galileans, which is the region that the disciples were from? Then how is it that each of us hears them in our own native language? Now, this is a supremely hopeful story to end our series on. This is about the birth of the church and the coming of the Holy Spirit. And as I prepared this week, I, I felt this real resonance with this story. And I think I saw parts of this story, which I preach on this every year for numbers of years. But I saw this year elements of the story which I'd never really seen before. The disciples had gone through this incredible process. They had been there in the heady days when Jesus' message was catching like wildfire all throughout the countryside. As literally thousands of people would greet them as they would go out and minister and Jesus would heal people. It was like nothing they would have ever experienced. That triumphant moment where they as the disciples, it would have felt like they're on the inner core of this great people movement, came into Jerusalem, the capital of God's land, and were greeted like a conquering army almost. But then things began to change as Jesus heads towards the temple and their expectations of what Jesus would do actually began to change. He didn't appear to be the kind of Messiah that they perhaps had imagined him to be. Their imagination was probably shaped by the fact that they thought he would take power, get rid of the Romans, and then rule and have this incredible political era of great fruitfulness. Instead, Jesus is charged and Jesus is convicted. Jesus goes to the cross and this community, this group of people, this people movement disperses. And we have that imagery of the night of the cross. The 150 who were Jesus' discipleship community have disappeared. The 12 are not there. It's just a really small group, mainly the women who stay with Jesus to the end. Peter, upon whom Jesus said he would build his church, is denying Christ. And then those three days, what must have that been like? The disappointment, the recriminations, the doubt. 
And in the stories, as Mary returns with this tale that Jesus is no longer in the tomb, which is not believed by the disciples, but then Jesus begins to appear amongst this disparate group, amongst the whom the relational bonds were fraying. And this group begins to meet again as the, the message of Jesus is heard through the resurrected Jesus, to which the book of Corinthians tells us he appears to over 500 people in his resurrected form. Something is coming back together after this period of things drifting apart. And then we have this group, Boyd, anticipating. The King James Version says in verse 1 that they were all together in this upper room. We, we probably don't know if it's the upper room. Some argue that it's a, it's a house, but a lot argue that it's probably a bigger room because it was a larger group perhaps in the temple. But the King James says that they were praying together in one accord. There is this common purpose that has come amongst them again. There have been a community, but this is now a community that has drifted apart, but now is being transformed, praying together with one purpose. Their lives changed by this resurrection moment of Jesus. Jesus, who perhaps in his first appearances to them, they hoped would actually become this new leader to lead them like he did before, but now in this resurrected form. Can you imagine what that would have been like? But then to their surprise, Jesus ascends to heaven to the right hand of the Father. He says he must go. It's better because someone will come. A counselor, a comforter, the Spirit of God who had appeared at various times throughout Israel's history would come. But in this incredible way, the prophets had promised. Joel had said there'll be a day one day when visions And dreams will come on both the old and the young men and women. And God's spirit will be poured out in this new and palpable and present way. And so at this moment, there's so many things going on in this story. The story of the Holy Spirit coming and then people speaking in tongues is not just about the disciples coming together in this new way as a people. It's also about God undoing something which has happened. There is a story that we find in the book of Genesis. That as the broken relationship that has occurred in humanity goes out into the world and there's this series of falls, what we see is that the story of the Tower of Babel, where humans try and create a sense of order in their own strength and build a tower where they try and get to heaven in their own strength, actually is undone as God then has people speak other languages and people are scattered and the social bounds are broken. Now, in many ways, we see that same story continuing in our age. One of the great terms we've learned in the last 18 months is social distancing, that idea that we need to keep distance from each other, 1.5 meters, or during lockdown, we had our travel restricted in order to not be part of the relational network, which can bring love and comfort and community, but also communicate germs. But there was this kind of social distancing happening before the pandemic. The ideology of individualism, which offers freedom, as we push further into it, began to be more and more painful. We encountered social trends of loneliness, of people becoming more and more isolated from each other, of us taking forms of community and commitment from everything from marriage to community groups, but turning them inside out, hoping that they'll serve our individual needs. That's how we've been formed. 
And this has presented huge challenges for the church. The church, which is called to be this community of God in the world, faces tremendous pressure in the West as people's attendance becomes more and more sporadic, less committed. People talk about commitment phobia as if commitment and relationships are actually something that we should be afraid of. Volunteerism is dropping. And the danger in the West is often spoken about as secularism, but as equal as a danger, there's just people not caring enough to really commit and to invest socially. And then into the midst of this, this incredible disruptive moment, which no one saw coming. People predicted a pandemic. If you read books about it, that was happening. But the way that we had to then deal with such a rapidly moving pandemic through lockdowns, I never imagined I'd see in my lifetime. The thought that not only Australians could not leave the country as we sort of now socially distance as a nation from the rest of the world, but the fact that our relationships will be cut right down to the bare bones to households, that, that web of relationships that we relied on and just expected would be there, all of a sudden we realized that that was really, really valuable. You so often don't miss something until it's gone. And for a period, our relational world has been the smallest households and then connected into this faceless world of options and opportunities in the digital world. But that middle space, which we neglected previously, those connections that would happen in bumping into people, acquaintances, that middle space of relationships was completely disrupted. In many ways, that's where church inhabits. We'd been able to do church, perhaps as you're doing right now, digitally at home. But that whole middle space was taken out, paused. And we've seen in the interview earlier today the terrible, terrible effect the pandemic is having still in the world at this time. And in Australia, we continue to pray for God's mercy as we still are in the crosshairs of something like that in a happening Perhaps in our country at some stage, lockdown coming back, we don't know what the future holds. But in the midst of this disruption, I wonder if there's an opportunity. That, that precise thing, which was our weakest point, increasingly as the church, of actually being part of that relational web which we're called to inhabit, that actually that has been paused. And we've had to pause church. I never thought, I planned for lots of things, but I thought about, you know, thinking into the future and being a church leader. But I never expected that. Literally, we at Red could not meet for 11 months. Uh, I heard from a friend this week, they've not met for 16 months. There's other churches which may, maybe two years before they can meet. And the fact that that middle space that we took for granted has been paused has been shocking. But as I've often shared Crisis precedes renewal. And this Pentecost, as I've read this story, I've seen a, a different note that I hadn't, or heard a note that I hadn't heard before. And I wonder if in the midst of this, God is speaking to us at this time as we rebuild and we rebuild hope as the people of God. If you've been following with this series, we've taken this imagery that we see at the beginning of Genesis where this picture of the world, of God creating the earth, this unformed earth, this unformed chaos, like this clay to be used. But then also the heavens, and the heavens isn't just where you go when you die. It's actually God's will, the imprint of God's order in the world. Hope hovers above us. Jesus teaches his disciples to pray, your will on earth as it is in heaven. 
There is this imagery at the beginning of Genesis of the Spirit hovering over the unformed mass of the world. God creates in Genesis humans to be his agents in the world, representative of his rule and reign in the world. These conduits for the imprint of heaven to then transform the world. And we've seen how that imagery plays again and again in the scriptures. Last week we looked at Jacob and how that story has so many of those images there, the heavens above, the Holy Spirit speaking, a man, the earth being transformed. And we see that in the story that we read today. We see in the book of Acts, those elements there, a group of people in the world, a world of disorder, a world where human relationship has been broken, but also like this sort of unformed mass going through everything they've gone through that I explained at the beginning there. These people had followed Jesus, seen his death, now sort of being formed like clay. And we see the Holy Spirit, the imprint of heaven coming down and empowering them. And this story tells us so much about this moment. It speaks to us of something which we can hope in. We see how, in a sense, we talked about how that disorder in the world can shape how we view the world. And one of the reasons that we are in individualism isn't just an ideological thing at the end of the 21st century for Western people. It's actually the natural trajectory of sin as humans chose to break relationship with God, to make their own order in the world. And as soon as that break happened relationally with God, we read that it happened between man and woman. It happened between people and people. And there's this cascading domino effect as human relationships spread brokenness through the world. And that's why the most beautiful thing, a gift of the gift of the presence of other people and relationship with them can sometimes be the most painful. That's why... Romantic love can sometimes be devastating. Families can be hurtful. Workplaces can be toxic. Nations can go to war with each other. And even churches can be dysfunctional places. And all of us in some ways are marked by many of these things which are results of the relational sin of humanity. But then we see in this imagery, we see The people of God who have gone through this human history of sin and brokenness, but have encountered Jesus and Jesus has come and said, the kingdom of heaven is near. He's shown them heaven. He's shown them the imprint. It's not just something they had to look up to the sky to imagine, but actually Jesus has brought the imprint of heaven down. And now these people begin to walk in this Christ likeness. Jesus preaches his sermon on the mount. He through parables spoken and lived, shows them how to love people with the love of God and undo the relational disorder in the world. So many stories, so many examples. Jesus was unlike anyone they saw before because Jesus did relationship with the full will of God. And he's our model of how we are to relate to others. But if we just try and do that in our own strength, just try and do his way under our own power, just try and be good, moral, virtuous, good religious people, we fall under a religious spirit because we can't do it in our own way. And that's where the good news and the hope of the story that we remember today comes in. The disciples are there. Jesus has appeared 
But the one who they watched and learned from and were discipled by has now gone. Again, they're back in that place. They're now God's representative on earth. They're his stewards. How are they to do this? They've learned from Jesus, but they're still in this upper room praying. They're wanting more. And the good news is God gives more. Simon Ponsonby says this, Scripture and tradition consistently tell us that those who gained most of God were used most by God, went most for God. And these people praying at this Pentecost festival, hungry in one accord in this upper room where it's a house or the temple, it doesn't matter. What matters is that their hearts were big enough and wanted more of God. And God in his mercy and love and grace pours out his spirit. And that spirit comes and begins to transform these people. They speak in tongues. The relational brokenness in the world is being changed. And what the most beautiful thing about this is, the thing I'm looking at differently this year with Pentecost, is that so often I looked at this each year and I think about the way that the Holy Spirit comes. I think of the Pentecost in the past where I felt God's Holy Spirit and all of us come to a day like this and and we want God's Spirit to move. Often we'd come to a a service and pray that we feel something of God's spirit and we want that blessing as a person from the Holy Spirit. And in Genesis, we see God create Adam from the raw materials of the world and into Adam, he breathes his ruach, his spirit, his breath and creates a person. But what we see in Acts chapter 2 is God's spirit and breath and fire comes, but he creates a people. And what he's doing here, he's undoing the relational brokenness that has occurred in humanity. And his way of doing that is not just through blessing an individual with a wonderful outpouring of the Spirit. And that can be beautiful, but that's not the whole story. That what he's doing is gathering a people, his people, the kind of people who would not normally hang around together because they're not of the same interest. This beautiful group of people who were so different, but what unites them is their focus on Christ in his way, but the Holy Spirit is also pulling them together and they're empowered by the Holy Spirit. And for me in reading this, this has given me such hope this year because I realize this is what we need. The world has been through this profound disruption and maybe after this profound relational disruption, we're seeing relationships in a different way. I think people around the world are seeing that the ideology of unlimited, unfettered freedom, first of all, is a myth because we're not as in control as we think we are. But that myth of just continually going after what we want is not getting us anywhere as a world. In fact, it's actually not delivering freedom and happiness and pleasure. It's delivering dislocation, isolation, anxiety and loneliness. And so in this moment, the world needs to hear the story of the Holy Spirit that brings people together, not in our strength, but actually in his strength. And at this moment, when, to be honest, as a leader, I'm speaking to leaders all around the world, and the question Christian leaders are asking this time is, how do I rebuild my church after this period of absolute dislocation? When churches are good at being in patterns, we have week after week, we have these services. So many churches get in these moments of absolute, just repeat, repeat, repeat. God's broken the pattern. God's done this thing where we can't keep doing what we used to do all the time. And it's allowed that to happen. 
I'm not saying God's caused the pandemic, but he's going to turn bad to good. And I think one of the things that God is doing at this time is resetting us relationally, resetting us relationally. And the Holy Spirit now has an opportunity to be central. One of the great temptations of church in the West when we live in this culture of individuality is to have the church as an accessory which gives us a bit of connection to continue pursuing our individual goals. But what Pentecost tells us is that what the people of God need is the presence and the presence comes. And what's beautiful is this is not just an encounter which then happens and then disappears. This is the Holy Spirit coming. It's an encounter as in a greeting, like, hello, I'm going to come and live amongst you. It's not a high and by. This is the Holy Spirit turning up and saying, hello, I am now living amongst you. What this is saying is, yes, there's a physical temple in Jerusalem at this stage, which is destroyed in 70 AD, but no longer is God's dwelling place, the physical temple with the struts and the colonnades and the roof and, and the building structures that actually the new structures and supports and, and colonnades and, and pillars of the new church is the relational web of the people of God. Now, red does not have a building. We don't own a building that we worship in. But God has moved us around many times. But what red is, and you're watching this through this digital medium, perhaps at some multiple places in the world, is that actually the Holy Spirit unites us and brings us together. And the Holy Spirit is now dwelling amongst his temple. And so therefore, we need to think about that. We need to Think of the Holy Spirit as now part of your community. The Holy Spirit is now part of your relational web. And so therefore, we need to ask the question, how do we give hospitality to the Holy Spirit? How do we welcome the Holy Spirit? How do we build relationship with the Holy Spirit? How do we honor the Holy Spirit as now part of our relational world? And as we do this, as the presence of God comes, as His Spirit empowers us, as we recognize that we are the living temple, that we, the Holy Spirit dwells amongst us, then we can go out into this world of broken relationships and sin and loneliness and disconnection and be the people of God. Leslie Newbegin, the, the great uh, Christian missiologist, Bishop of South India, said that one of the greatest witnesses of the good news of Jesus is the congregation, the people of God, living lives for God in front of the world. And at this time, after the great disruption of 2020, I believe God is knitting us together in a new way. And so I just want to just offer three things. One, I think what this is saying to us is, number one, we need to walk Jesus' way in our relationships. At this moment, when so many of us are like, how do I do relationships? I'm coming back into the world of relationships after this pause. We need to ask that question, not just to how to construct a web of relationships or a new set of relationships or engage with old relationships in a way that suits our personal life. We need to say, how do we do this to honor Christ and how would Jesus do it? That is the surest way to step into healthy relationships, to bring Jesus into all of our relationships. Secondly, we need to reframe this moment. And I know this moment has been difficult. I know there are people watching this in places in the world that are still in lockdown. 
I know that there are people watching this who are still working. Like, I know that I've got to come back into some sort of relationality in the church, but I'm not ready yet. I know that it's hard. But with the Holy Spirit, we can reframe this moment as an opportunity. We do this as a form of worship to actually not do this in our own strength, but step in with the power of God, with his presence, and actually do this not in our own strength, but Jesus' power. Jesus and the Holy Spirit will knit this together. You don't have to do it in your own power. Reframe this moment. Reframe it with God. And then thirdly, I think at this moment, there's this commitment call that what we need to do is together. It's been difficult. The pattern has been broken. But this is an opportunity to commit to be part of God's project to build a people of his presence. It's now too long that we can't just release the pause button. Everything goes back to 2019. But we have this incredible opportunity to now be a people of God centered around his presence and that being the central driving thing. It doesn't matter what a church looks like. It doesn't matter what building it meets in. It doesn't matter how it does church, digital, whatever form. What matters is that the church is a people centered around his presence. And I believe this Pentecost, his Holy Spirit is wanting to reform us again as his people. I'm going to pray. God, we Thank you that you sent your spirit upon the church in the book of Acts. That your spirit is with us, constant companion, counselor. And we just acknowledge that your spirit is here. And we ask and pray, come Holy Spirit. We sense your presence. We just want to commit ourselves and invite you to be part of our world of relationships. Dwell in those relational spaces, we ask. We want to be a people knitted together by you, centered around your presence. We just want to pray now for those who are negotiating, how do they re-enter into the world of relationships? We pray your empowering spirit upon those. Help them to do this in your strength. We want to pray for those who feel gaps, emotional, uh, relational absences. Spirit, fill those places. And Father, we think of the disciples tumbling almost out of that upper. Help us to be your presence, vessels of your presence in the world, in a broken, recovering world. We pray, Father, that we may be your presence, your stewards, your God reflectors in the world that's lonely, distant, and dislocated. Show us how to be your people at this time, we pray. So we just pray now as we move into this reflection and this worship, that your Holy Spirit is palpable and present. Knit us together as your people, we ask.